Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thank you, Sam. Good morning again, everybody. My name's Sean. I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Uh, if you're new, um, yeah, welcome. Um, just real quick, if you are new, know something you're going to hear a lot. And if you've been coming for a while, you know what I'm going to say. Redemption Church, it's one church, 10 different congregations spread across the state of Arizona. Um, that gives us an opportunity to really celebrate what's going on in other congregations across uh, the valley and in Tucson and in Flagstaff. Uh, so it's really exciting. Now, each congregation is elder-led and lead pastor-led, right? So that means I'm the lead pastor here, but it's not the Sean show. I lose a lot in our elder meetings, the vote. So uh, it's good. It's for the health of the church. We're led in plurality. And so um, you might have questions about that, how we operate. Um, I will be by the Connect desk along with uh, some of the other elders, and you can ask us any questions you want about our philosophy behind uh, why we do what we do, and we'd love to help you navigate any of that. I will say, um, if you plan on coming and making this place your home, I know the New Year's resolution thing's on everyone's mind or whatever, and you're saying, all right, I'm going to be committed. The best way to be committed is not just coming on Sundays uh, uh, to Redemption Peoria, but honestly being involved in a redemption community. And we don't want to just throw you in, into a community. We want you to know why we do them so that you're hitting the ground running as you go. And so here's what I would challenge you to do. If you are new, looking to get plugged in, uh, moving forward, you can text the word CONNECT to 623-850-4690, and that's a digital Connect card. Uh, that will You'll see a little slot there for a Start Here class. It's the first three weeks of every month. John Demeter runs those classes. It's actually one going on right now. It's during second service. Also on there, you're going to see other class options. There's a singles class that's going on right now for the month of January. But going into February, uh, you're, you're going to see there's a film, gospel and film class. We're doing a Doctrines of Grace class, which I'll talk about as we go through Ephesians. And so just kind of be aware of all that stuff. That's just how to get connected. I only got one announcement for you, and it's the announcement on our, our youth ministry. So uh, we work tend, tend to be a younger church in general, uh, just average age-wise, but there's also still a lot of junior hires and high schoolers who are coming as we have younger families as well. Um, and so we've been, we've been uh, meeting, Marshall and, and the team have been uh, meeting for now about a year, but uh, it's been kind of further out in the Northwest Valley, and so they're reeling it in and kind of uh, starting fresh. So if you've been or before or, or whatever, it's starting fresh at the Southwest Indian uh, Ministries building, which is on 73rd and, and Thunderbird, so kind of up the road uh, over there, kind of, uh, what is that, east of us. Uh, I will say, though, if you want to go or you've got a, uh, a student who want, would want to go, you can see Marshall's email on the bottom there, Marshall at uh, redemptionaz.com. He's also going to be by the Connect Desk afterwards. There's two things to that I want you to know. One, if you want to go or you have a, a student who would want to go, but also if you want to get involved and help and lead, um, Marshall will be on there and he'll be able to help navigate uh, any questions you might have. Cool? Okay, that's the only thing I got for you. Um, let's go ahead and spend 10 months together in the book of Ephesians, shall we? That sounds super exciting. Uh, uh, I'm going to start us off reading verses 1 and 2 in a second, and then we're just going to go for it. I believe John Demeter said last week I was left off in his analogy in L.A. somewhere in prison. Um, so that's super exciting. Uh, I wasn't. Never mind. Just let me pray for us, kind of reboot, do that whole prayer restart thing, uh, and then we'll jump into Ephesians 1. Father, thanks. Uh, this prayer uh, in this moment is, as we gather together, a prayer of illumination. We pray that you would give us eyes to see the scripture well, hearts to believe it. I pray for those of us who are new to church, uh, new to hearing about the Bible and what it says, that you would 
there'd be a, a serious hostile takeover of the heart, that you would show how deep your grace really does go beyond all sin that we think we're bringing to the table. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's start Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. It starts with this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, Starting with the language of Paul. If you're not familiar with who Paul is, uh, and again, you're new to Christianity, we're grateful you're here. Honestly, let me just give you a, a brief summary. And if you're really honestly interested about diving in, we spent some time all of last year in the book of Acts. And Um, It talks about Paul a ton, how he became a Christian and all that. But before that, he hated the church, and he was out to literally destroy it. And in trying to destroy it, Jesus shows up, uh, Paul becomes a Christian, and then he just becomes a monster for the gospel, uh, planting churches, just doing some amazing things. The whole back half of Acts is following the story of the Apostle Paul. Well, in that journey, um, on that encounter, he ends up planting a church in Ephesus, okay? And um, let me show you exactly where Ephesus is. Uh, There's a map here. Uh, and then some really cool things of, about this. I just want you to know kind of regionally where we are and, and, and where you can get your mind around some of these things. I'm going to keep this map up for a little bit. So most of the stories you hear in the Bible um, are where you see down there with the Syria thing. It's where Jerusalem is, all that stuff. Uh, well, across on the other side of Cyprus, you get starting to move into further parts of Europe. Um, as you go up into uh, the, the left upper uh, part of the corner, you're going to make your way past Ephesus. And um, about Ephesus, here's, here's what's important about this and Paul. Paul, on his second missionary journey, plants this church. He ends up actually staying there on his third missionary journey for a few years. But if you were with us in the book of Acts, there might be a couple things you remember in the uh, uh, Ephesians account of what you have in Acts 18 and 19. Um, we meet Apollos, and he's actually in Ephesus. Apollos is a guy who was preaching the gospel. He was fervent of spirit, taught the scriptures actually, accurately, and knew Jesus well. But he didn't have the spirit, the Holy Spirit, which was a weird read as we went through that. Again, you can go back and listen. But if it wasn't just, if it didn't just stop there, his misunderstanding of what the Holy Spirit was, uh, we then were introduced in chapter 19 to 12 men who claimed to know Jesus Christ, but they weren't baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we talked about, well, what does that mean? What do we do with that? And then if it didn't even get, if we could get weirder, then we met some guys who were going around looking at Paul going, Paul casts out demons? Well, if Paul can cast out demons, I can cast out demons. And so there are these itinerant Jews who went on trying to cast out these demons. There was a, they were sons of this guy named Sceva, and they just get worked by this demon. They roll into this house, in the name of Paul's God, blah, 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 and they run out naked. True story. You can read it, okay? Uh, but the biggest story of what we get in that little spot there um, in Ephesus is as the gospel begins to take root, Paul and Barnabas have planted this church, and, and, and God's really doing things. The local people there, the guilds of what they were called, there's the metalworking guild, the woodworking guild, as they were working around, they're all serving this one purpose, which we'll get at in a second. But when the gospel begins to take root, the economy, these people who are working metal or working wood, they begin to lose money, and they don't like that. Because suddenly now people aren't doing what they want them to do because the gospel's calling them in a different direction. And so there's this huge riot that ends up being calmed down, but there's this huge riot in Ephesus caused because of the gospel. It caused this turmoil. Now, what we know about this is this letter was written sometime between 60 and 64 AD. Um, it's written by Paul, um, which who I just explained it was, but he's in prison at the time. You can see this in Ephesians 3, 1, that he's a prisoner on behalf of the Gentiles. But here's some interesting things that I want you to also know about uh, Ephesians as we go through it. Um, when you see those original words, Paul and Apostle, the Lord Jesus Christ, on behalf of uh, or, I'm sorry, that was uh, uh, chapter 3, but to the, the Ephesians is the, the region here, going around the region, is a bunch of mini-churches that it's actually argued 
um, who this letter is to. So if you look at your Bibles, you'll see in verse 1, you're going to see some of you have a letter or a number next to the, the part where it says to the saints who are in Ephesus. That's because we don't know for sure if it was written actually to that one church in Ephesus or actually the regional parts of that uh, area. Now, here's a few things that I just want to share, have nothing to do with uh, us unpacking, but I just find really, really interesting. I read a book um, on Ephesus. Just, it wasn't a Christian book, just the historical uh, content of it, ge- geography and all that stuff. Here's what's really cool. Um, it's in Ephesus that historically uh, we know Mary, the mother of Jesus, to die. Mary, the mother of Jesus, ends up spending her last days in Ephesus. Now, the reason that's interesting is that there's a home there that's set out for, for Mary, she was brought there because it's also the last place that, that we know the connection of uh, John the Evangelist. And here's why what makes this whole thing kind of like if, you're, if you know your Bible well, you're like, wow, that's really cool. The island that's off of Ephesus, the smaller island, I wish I had a laser pointer right now, but I don't, um, is the island Patmos. That's where John was exiled. John's the only disciple not to be uh, killed or martyred. He's exiled to this island, and it's where we get the book of Revelation from. So John's there. And so the closest counter uh, uh, church there, getting there, is in Ephesus. And so John and Mary, who uh, John continues to take care of Mary to the end of her life, uh, he brings Mary there, and that's where she spends the, the, the last part of her life, and it's where the first uh, John, St. John Church is, you know, St. John Assembly or whatever it is. First St. John Assemblies is there. It's not really called that. I don't know what it's called. But it, it's, it's there in that area. And we know, if you know anything about church history, that's where Polycarp, who is John's disciple, uh, first set up shop. So anyway, just some interesting, cool things that we can know historically about this church in Ephesus. If you honestly want to know about what happens after this letter, you can read Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven, uh, and you get into kind of where uh, they got things right moving forward and where they messed up. Uh, re- they're mentioned in the book of Revelation. So some interesting things about that. But here's what I want to do. Keeping this in mind, I want you to notice a a few other things about this. Um, It's in Ephesus that when we were going through the book of Acts that caused this riot. Remember when I said it caused this riot? Let me explain why. Okay. Um, So I'm making these metal shrines or I'm making these wood shrines. And this is a super spiritual place. And as I'm making these metal shrines and making these wood shrines, I'm making them for this god Artemis, this goddess Artemis. In Ephesus is the largest temple, one of the largest temples in the world, doesn't exist anymore, but one of the largest temples just in Greek mythology for a Greek god, the Greek god Artemis. Now I want to show you a picture of Artemis real quick. Um, It's as inappropriate as it looks, that's true. Um, uh, So Artemis is really a big deal in Ephesus because um, this is where she has chosen to set up shop. Uh, Artemis is the twin sister of Apollo, who is uh, the, the daughter, the son and daughter of Zeus. And she's one of the big players in Greek mythology. And it's in Ephesus that she's decided to take up shop. So with, with that picture, let me read you something that um, I was reading about Artemis. So you can kind of know, and this is going to be a good culture setter for us, uh, kind of understanding the context in Ephesus. This is describing Artemis. The whole of nature was subject to this primitive goddess. It is by her orders that the earth uh, brings forth fruits and flowers. She rules the elements, the air, the earth, and and the sea. She governs the life of the animals. She tames the wild beasts and prevents their extinction. She assists in birth. Now, ready? As the ruler of civilization, 
Each year, she was celebrated almost everywhere in great festivals as the fertility goddess and granted innumerable prayers. She was described as the bee goddess, and on one side of the Ephesian coin, uh, the Ephesus coins, was to be found the queen bee as a symbol of Artemis. Now, that language, I think, is really important to pick up on. That, you can put up the... the oh, it's still there. Goodness. Um, okay. So, so, so here she is. Her nickname is literally the queen bee. She's the one that we go to to pray for fertility, to pray for fruit to grow, to pray for life. She's the one who's involved in all of this. And the Ephesian church, as they plant, they begin to go, well, wait a minute. That, that's, not, that's not the one who brings life. She's not the one who, who makes the fruit grow. She's not the one who gives fertility. This is all about Yahweh. This is God. I'm learning and, and hearing about Jesus, and it's, that's not true. And so these guilds are losing money because people, as the church is growing in that area, people are slowly but surely not buying those things anymore. And so what you find is this huge riot in, in Ephesus. Now, there's something else. Can we put the map back up? There's something else about I want you to notice. Um, we get most of our Bible down in here, Cyprus, Syria, uh, Antioch area. But um, what you want, what you can know, what we know of modern, the modern-day Middle East, um, this is a pathway, a shortcut, if you will, as you go up further into Europe. So Ephesus is not just a place where this Greek goddess Artemis stays, but it's where people, if they're going to stop on their way to the Middle East or uh, the opposite way on their way to Europe, they're going to stop there to pay their dues. So, so Ephesus is not just the worship of Artemis. It's also this melting pot of different ideas, different philosophies, different theologies. They, they're bringing all these things, people from the Middle East, people coming down from Europe. They're bringing all these ideas, and they're coming to this large city in Ephesus, and they begin to worship Artemis, or they begin to worship a different god, and here are the Christians. Here are the Christians. They have this belief that's monotheistic. They have these ideas of who God really is, and it's pushing against everything they know. And this is where the term, ready? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, is so important. When Paul opens up his letters, you can say it's a generic opening, which he does. In all 13 letters, these two verses, it's how he opens up all of his letters. But this language is really important because here's what we're going to do for the next 10 months. We're going to ask the question, what is the will of God in blank? That term, by the will of God, is mentioned in Ephesians more than it is in any other New Testament book. So as we go through it, check this out. You are coming to the table with ideas. You're coming with philosophies. You're coming with the way that you think God is. But what Ephesians is going to do, it's going to tell you what the will of God is in areas of soteriology, which is the study of salvation. So we're going to hit something that's going to be super uh, difficult for some of you to process. We're going to talk about election, or, or more appropriately, in a couple weeks, we're going to use the word predestination. You have ideas of what you think predestination is and what it should be. But what if you're wrong? What if the will of God, as we read it through the book of Ephesians, is different than the way that you think it is? We're going to understand Christology, which is the study of Christ, which hopefully we do every week as we look at Christ. The difference is the way that you process, maybe he's a tree-hugging Jesus, he just loves me however he is. Maybe he's the, the conservative, righteous, hell, uh, fire and brimstone Jesus, whatever it is. Well, what's Ephesians say that he is? What's the will of God for us to understand that? I got a few other lists. John mentioned these last week. We're going to talk about inherent sin. So here's the age-old question. Are kids born with sin or do they learn to sin? We're going to talk about willful sin. How can you as a Christian continue to sin? 
We're going to talk about mission. We're going to talk about community. We're going to talk about households. When we get into Ephesians, we're going to talk about wives. Look at me. There's a way you need to live. It is God's will for you to live this way. Husbands, you definitely ain't off the hook. Yes. Yes. I didn't get anything on predestination, but a yes on husbands. So, so, so hear me. Here's this, this, this meleeing of, of Ephesus as, as all these different cultures are coming together. Here we live in the same idea, that the same type of atmosphere, even within Christendom. Here, here's another one that we're going to touch on, uh, racial reconciliation. So we, a guy named Jarvis Williams came and spent the day with us, myself, the other pastors at Redemption Peoria, and all the pastors of Redemption Church. And we got together in this room, and this guy named Jarvis Williams, who's a New Testament theologian, uh, spent the whole day, walked us through Ephesians. And you know what he said the number one topic uh, that Ephesians is about? Racial reconciliation. That, that, that they're trying to navigate how all these different cultures view life and how they are meant to be together. And I know, I recognize, some of you are going to be super uncomfortable as we talk about black people, white people, Asian people, Hispanic people. How do all these things operate? What are we supposed to view them as? Where, where's, where do we stand? And, and as we begin to talk about black lives matter, blue lives matter, and as we get out, listen, hear, hear me, I know it's super uncomfortable, but it's in the text. So, so this is the beauty of, of us not just getting up. You know what? I think we should talk about racial reconciliation. If we're going to go through Ephesians, we've got to talk about certain types of people, the Jews, calling Gentiles uncircumcised heathens. What do we do with that? When another race, culture, downgrades another race or culture. So we're going to talk about that. And then the other thing that we're going to talk about is as you hit the end of the the, uh, book in Ephesians, you're going to see that we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. Like, what does that mean? How do we process some of this? And, and I think it's important that you understand that Paul's going to use a lot of spiritual language. He's going to use, even next week, we'll talk about the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. So he's doing this because in Ephesus, that little dot on the map there, man, they're super religious. They're super spiritual. There is a God, and what Ephesians is going to do, it's going to narrow in how we're supposed to process all these things. So let me give you, a man named uh, Timothy Gambus said it like this, that the book of Ephesians, it translates or um, interprets, uh, interprets our reality from a heavenly perspective. So how are we supposed to view things? We're, we're, we're going to look through the book of Ephesians and go, that's reality, that's parenting, that's money. That, that, that's how I view uh, my, my, my spouse, that's how I view work, whatever it is. And it's going to go, okay, this is how you should view it. Because you've got a lot of good ideas, but some of them ain't godly. Let me actually read that to you. It's a quote from, from Gambus. Uh, it's one of the commentaries that I'm going to be using uh, through the, the book of Ephesians. It says this, Paul's letter is a narrative account of the victory of God in Christ over the powers that have hijacked God's world, holding it captive and enslaving humanity. Do you hear that? Ephesians is saying, Christ has come. Let's look at all these things because the world, this age, say there's a certain way to act, but they're wrong. They're wrong. What's the Bible say? So in Christ accomplishing what he has done, now we can view the world differently. The ideology of divine warfare saturates the letter, shaping its entire argument. Ephesians announces the triumph of God in Christ over the powers that rule the present evil age and then narrates how the church participates in this triumph. You ready? It gives us a heavenly interpretation of reality. What it does is it gives us a heavenly interpretation of reality. 
It helps us see all these things that you have questions on, and it goes, Here how, here's how heaven views it. Here's how you're supposed to view it. View it. So um, the next statements um, is like tracks that are going to guide all those conversations. So if we're going to talk racial reconciliation, if we're going to talk Christology and soteriology, we're going to talk all of these things. And what guides that is, is, if that's like a train, what guides that is these two words in this next verse, grace and peace. So Paul, an apostle, uh, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, if you know anything, if you've read your Bible before, you can go ahead and scroll through all 13 letters. That term, grace and peace, appears in every single one of them. In the pastoral epistles, uh, you, you get uh, in Titus and, and both Timothys, you add the word uh, mercy, I think it is, uh, grace, peace, and mercy. But you're going to see these two letters. Now, I want to give an argument um, as to why he uses this in this letter, but overall, why grace and peace are so important as we go into the book of Ephesians and why the way that you view the world, you need grace and peace in a certain way. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to use your, your fingers, either sliding on a screen or flipping the, the, the Bible over. And I want you to go to uh, chapter six, okay? So at the end of your Bible, or I'm sorry, at the end of uh, Ephesians, the end of this book, I want you to look at verses 23 and 24, okay? So the way that it starts is grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's how the letter starts. I want you to look how Paul finishes the letter, okay? He says this, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So as you, you, you read the beginning of the letter, grace and peace here it is, to you. At the very end of the letter, he ends with grace and peace with you. Now, this is what's called an inclusio. It's bookending the book of Ephesians, meaning everything we need to see inside of Ephesians needs to be understood through the foundation of grace and peace. But if you're a good English teacher, or you just understand English in general, you know there's something missing from, missing from this sentence. When you see grace from our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace from, from our Lord Jesus Christ, God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to notice something. When I asked Titus on Friday, Titus, what do I need to make a sentence? Because I was looking at this, and it's not here in the Greek. What do I need to make a sentence? And he said, Titus is really brilliant, though he acts crazy at times, you need a subject and you need a verb, right? That's some Maryvale, Great Hearts Education, FYI. Okay, brilliant. Um, most of you are like, yeah, I didn't know that. Um, but, but you need a subject and a verb, meaning you need a noun, you need something to do something. In Greek, and it's not in English either, but you may think it is, there's no verb. This is a sentence that we have, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. There's no verb there. Grace and peace just exists, and it's to you. But, but that to you is part of the you. There's no verb. You can, if you want to learn Greek, you can look at it. There's no verb there. So, so what is he saying? More pro- appropriately, why does he do that in every single letter? He gives us a subject, we're talking about grace and peace, but he assumes something. Now, what he is assuming is the fact that you, if you are a believer, you're coming into this room, it's not that he's saying, hey, listen, for the first time you've received grace, I am telling you now, I'm, I'm bringing and, and hoping you grab onto grace and peace. There's something else he's writing to believers. And the way we understand grace as a believer, we would say, we already have it, Paul. Why are you telling us grace and peace to us now? Is this just some normal greeting? And in some ways, yes, but in some ways, no. And and, and who reveals uh, Paul's hand is actually Peter. What's being said in this text is is, um, 
unleashed or opened up by another writer of the New Testament. And it's Peter. Uh, Peter and Paul end up button heads a little bit. They kind of run together just for a brief moment. One is called to a certain group of people. Another is called to the other. But in, uh, in all honesty, as we, we read it, we can see something from Peter's writing that's not in Paul's. And that's in Peter's writing. As he writes in First and Second Peter, he lends his hand for us to understand what Paul assumes. Listen to this. In Second Peter 1-2, he uses the exact same introduction. You ready? May grace and peace... And, he, and we can just skip that. To you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. But he adds a verb. He adds, be multiplied. What I think Paul's trying to do as he opens up this letter is he's saying, through this letter, what you're about to read is going to continue the progression, continue to open up, continue to reveal continue to perfect, continue to multiply the grace that you have received. I think he's saying, as I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, and I'm not trying to like elongate these first two verses so we can make a whole Sunday out of it. I think we need to understand from this point on, this letter is grace and peace to you. This letter, as you read it, you have a certain way to view the world. And God's grace needs to grow in you. So, so check it out. Look at me. Look at me. This week, you're going to look at porn. Some of you are going to do it. You're going to fail. Some of you, you're going to be super greedy. You're going to be selfish. Some of you are going to gossip. You're going to be a terrible dad or mom. You're going to flirt with him or her, and you know you shouldn't. And in those moments, you forget that it's not because of what you've done. It's not because of how you stand there. It's not because of your mistakes or you even getting it right and you not doing any of those things. You need to be re-gospeled. Every single day, you need to be re-gospeled. And what Paul is telling us is the way you can continue to wash your mind and be re-gospeled and receive grace to you again and again and again and again is the word. You would read the word and you would be reminded. You would read the word and you would be reminded over and over and over again. Now, there's a trick to all this um, because I want to define what grace and peace are. And and I'm warning you now, uh, today's going to be short because I'm going to steal a lot of your time in about four weeks as we get into certain hard topics. Um, So let's just remember this when I give you a 30-minute sermon in five weeks when we're here for till like 2.30. uh, I, I want to look at first, I want to start with the, the back half of this. Why does Paul, um, why does he encapsulate all the book of Ephesians for us to understand? Why is this a, a mode of grace and peace? Let's start with the, the second one, uh, this idea of peace. Um, let's go back to Ephesus. We're in Ephesus, and here's what is promised absolutely by Artemis. Artemis promises, and other philosophies promise, and other doctrines and the- theologies promise, other ideas on the table promise, If you do it this way, it's going to be better for you. You'll have peace. And the Ephesian church is swimming in this. Did you hear how we described Artemis? I don't need Jesus. If I'm struggling in an area of fertility, I have a goddess who will provide what I need. No, no, you, you, you promised that. But why do I need that when I have this? And over and over, not just in Ephesus, but in our own culture, There are counter-gospels, fake good news is everywhere promising 
peace. Just watch the Pepsi commercial. One of the Jenners can walk up and give a Pepsi commercial and suddenly magically stop the BML uh, uh, protest. That's incredible. No, like this, this is what, what, what goes. So, so hear me. Um, I, I saw this in spades. I had to share this with you. So two weeks ago, Candace and I were watching the Golden Globes. It has nothing to do with Oprah's speech or anything like that. But we're watching the Golden Globes. And there, this commercial comes on. And I think at this point, you guys know that, um, that the way that Candace and I have chosen to raise our children is cultural discipleship. So one thing that we do in the Myers home is we do not have them removed from culture. Matter of fact, we have them embrace it head on and learn to navigate it at really early ages. So we do a lot of pausing uh, of television. Uh, We do a lot of just muting it and talking about it. We do a lot of that. And this commercial comes on and usually I don't get upset about cultural notions um, because I recognize it's like the person who's like not a believer and you're like super upset that they're acting a certain way. Like, I just can't believe they believe that. And I'm going, what, what, what do you want? It's, they're not a believer. You want them to believe like Jesus believes without believing in Jesus? Like, you're expecting these Christendom-type ideas and somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus. So normally I don't get upset. But watching this, I was like, oh, heck no. Mute, let's talk about this. So it's this commercial, and it was this Facebook commercial. And the whole premise of the commercial had to do with hope. The idea that I hope that uh, there would be a better tomorrow, not in like a cheesy way, but I hope I'm accepted. And there's this, there's this uh, homosexual couple, and there's this, I I'm, I'm hope that, that the world can be a better place in this way, and, and, and all these ideas of hope. And at the end of the commercial, you can see uh, in, in the sky, this plane writes out in, in smoke or fog or whatever, the word hope. And you're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm watching it. And that in general kind of just aggravated me, the fact that you are sitting here telling me we can have some type of humanistic approach, we can have this hope that you're offering me. But if that wasn't enough, I'm listening to the song in the background and I about lost my mind. Because in the background, I can hear a gospel song. I can hear a song that they took from us. It's this gospel song in the 80s. And it's like, that's how the good Lord works. That's how the good Lord works. That's how the good Lord works. He works. They're playing this all over. I know, that was balling. Um, okay, so, so, so I'm hearing this, and, I'm, and I pause it, and immediately I go, do you guys hear that? They're trying to steal our stuff. Hope ain't theirs. Hope's ours. They got to dip into our resources to get hope. They're trying to get to where we already are. They, they desperately, you desperately, we all desperately want this peace. But I'm telling you, it's only found in the gospel. It's only there. That's how the good Lord works. And so, so, so we can try from our own philosophies, our own determination, our own ideas. But hear me, you need to be re You need to be reminded over and over and over that the Lord multiplies your peace. Maybe you forgot what it's like to lay down at night and be super secure. Maybe you got saved at a young age and you don't remember like the turmoil that your friends who don't know Jesus live in. They're tripping, bro. Some of you in this room are tripping. You don't know what's going to happen when you die. You feel like you got all the answers, but you're just a mess. And so here you sit, and I'm telling you what the book of Ephesians is going to do. It's going to tell you to process reality. Now, here's the beauty of it. We get peace through grace. We receive peace through grace. I prayed with the band, uh, and I think it's an amazing revelation. Jesus comes to the earth, and as he comes to the earth, he doesn't get grace. Matter of fact, he's accused in all the wrong ways. He lives a, a life of the opposite of peace. It's constant turmoil. 
And he does this for us to have grace, for us to receive the grace of God, which in pure definition is unmerited favor. So I tried to, a couple years ago, break down how you can understand grace and mercy. And, and here's, mercy is not receiving what you deserve, where grace is, is receiving what you don't deserve. Meaning, if you can think of a, a prince in a land or a king in a land who's been betrayed by somebody, his family's been murdered, this king hunts down this man, has the sword to his throat, and in that moment has every reason, have all authority to just off with his head. But in mercy chooses not to kill him. That is mercy. What grace is, is flipping the sword over, grabbing it by the blade, and handing him the sword and saying, you're now king. So mercy, he did not receive what he deserved, but grace is getting something he didn't deserve in in the first place. He deserved to die. That's mercy. He didn't die. But grace is getting all the more. And hear me, look at me. This is what Ephesians is going to do. It's going to multiply grace upon grace Upon grace. It's going to continue to point us in the direction of understanding the world rightly and being reminded that God loves us in that way. So our time together, um, we're going to finish with um, a song called Grace Alone. And so if you don't know, we're changing the way, some of the way we do our services to sing two songs up front and three in the back. Um, and the last song that we sing before um, um, the doxology is the song Grace Alone. And we've sung it a million times. And I, occasionally I want to read this song so we know what we're, we're singing. Like, we obviously live in a culture that apparently, like that com- Facebook commercial, we don't even know what, like, that song, can we just go back to that moment real quick? That song is actually the opposite of what they're trying to communicate. The rest of the song is like, he just works, you just have to trust him at his word, he's just going to do what he wants to do. And I'm sitting here going, you, uh, you know what I'm saying, like, you can look it up. Um... So this is the song that we're going to sing. And I want you to hear this because this is the hope that would be multiplied. The ideas that need to continue to ruminate in your mind over and over and over again. Christian brothers and sisters, know that grace is on the table. He loves you. You are welcome to sit with him. I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away when I heard you call. But Father, you worked your will. I had no righteousness of my own. I had no right to draw near your throne. But Father, you loved me still. And in love, before you laid the world's foundation, you predestined, oh, we'll get into that, to adopt me as your own. You have raised me up so high above my station. I'm a child of God by grace and grace alone. Verse 2, you left your home to seek out the lost. You knew the great and terrible cost. But Jesus, your face was set. You hear that? Like, he knew the cost. I don't care. The joy that's set before me, Hebrews 12, it's set there. I know what I'm doing. You, you hear that? That's the song we're singing. You knew the great and terrible cost, but Jesus, your face was set. I worked my fingers down to the bone. Nothing I did could ever atone. Can I get an amen for that? Oh, my goodness. Like some of you are still in the room, still trying, working, working, working. Grace, grace. Worked my fingers down to the bone. Nothing I did could ever atone, but Jesus, you paid my debt. By your blood, I have redemption and salvation. Lord, you died that I might reap what you have sown. Sorry, Josh, I just spit on your paper. And you rose that I might be a new creation. I am born again by grace and grace alone. Let's finish out with this. I was in darkness all of my life. I never knew the day from the night, but spirit, you made me see. I swore I knew the way on my own. Head full of rocks, this is a money statement. Head full of rocks and heart made of stone, but spirit, you moved in me. Do you hear that? It was not your cleverness, your wisdom. 
Like, do you remember the moment, believer, do you remember the moment you were saved? Were you just like nailing it? You just like had it all together in that moment. And you just like, yes, I figured it out. God's the answer. No. Like you're just going, I don't know what's going on, but I suck and Jesus is awesome. I swore I knew the way on my own, head full of rocks, a heart made of stone, but spirit, you moved in me. At your touch, my sleeping spirit was awakened. On my darkened heart, the light of Christ has shone, called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken, heaven citizen by grace and grace alone. And then it goes on to say, so I stand in faith by grace and grace alone. I will run the race by grace and grace alone. I will slay my sin by grace and grace alone. I will reach the end by grace and grace alone. Let's pray. Father, our prayer as a community of believers gathered in 2018 in a very small part of the world is that the song we're going to sing at the end of our time together would be true in our hearts. That we would know that we have tried our own philosophies, we have tried our own ways, and it has only led to death. Our prayer would be that we would be reminded that it is through the grace of God that we will finish this race. It is through the grace of God that we are saved in this moment. It is through the grace of God that we have peace. Jesus, thank you so much for this reminder. The song that we sing may not just be words put to a melody, but may it be a prayer of our heart. We love you. We thank you. We're so grateful for Ephesians. Wreck us. Wreck us. Just destroy our man-made notions, the way that we should process things, we lay it down before you and recognize that we have a lot to learn in all of these areas. So teach us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.